Welcome to the Silver Linings Handbook bonus episode. This is the second in a series of three episodes on coaching and personality and values. This series is focused on coaching the whole person, and today's focus will be on coaching the dark side of personality. So, for example, on a, on a private note, I was trying to convince my sister to take the Hogan exam, and she was exactly afraid to learn about her dark side. And um, I think that's exactly the point, being aware, knowing that these are your strengths, and you just have to be a bit careful when you, you don't monitor yourself. It's such a key factor for, not just for, for the workplace, it's for your entire life with engaging with people you don't want to hurt someone just because you don't you're not aware that that actually hurt the other others or putting things at risk that it was an unnecessary risk so why don't you why don't you want everyone takes the chances to make life and interact daily interactions better on work and private life just being aware and as you said um knowing other people derailers is so helpful there's a quote that we now say all the time around the office since taking the Hogan assessments, and it's the you you know is not worth knowing. It has been misconstrued by society. It's been twisted and turned by everyone but yourself. And this is an assessment that allows you to have control of the full narrative of yourself and understand your strengths that are being overused, your positive assets, and you know your motivators, and it just encompasses so much. That's Brittany Lawhorn, Goose Creek Consulting's Director of Operations, and Christina Ralph, a Project Coordinator at the company. Each are certified in the Hogan Developmental Survey, a measure of the dark side of personality. It was not until the 6th century BC that the actions, thoughts, and feelings of humans were attributed to natural forces, that is, sources found within ourselves. We unfortunately forgot that message, and every historical period since has been dominated by certain beliefs that won out over previously existing conceptions. Primitive man and ancient civilizations alike viewed the unusual and the strange within a magical and mythological framework. Although both good and evil were a framework, the bizarre and out-of-character behaviors led to a prevailing belief in demon spirits. People often sought help from the gods and through magical rites, incantations, prayers, and special powers of those who were physicians and priests. During the Middle Ages, Hippocrates was the first to provide a medical description of depression, but it wasn't until 1884 when Phineas Gage had a metal rod go through his eye and out of the back of his head while working on a railroad in Vermont. And he experienced changes in his behaviors did the modern study of personality begin. It wasn't until the 1880s that our modern era ushered in Freud, Jung, and questionable tests like the Myers-Briggs type indicator. It wasn't until Theodore Millen, whose groundbreaking work on the classification of personality disorders led to a deep evidence-based understanding of abnormal elements of personality that we have today. Beyond personality disorders, Millen introduced and studied 
the concept of personality tendencies, a sub-therapeutic form of the different disorders. Robert Hogan, a personality psychologist built on this research to apply personality psychology, the nature of human nature, that asks how we're all alike and how and what ways we're different and why we do what we do. Dr. Hogan argued the importance of focusing on reputation instead of identity, because getting along and getting ahead are all about how others see us. Dr. Hogan built the Hogan Developmental Survey, which focuses on the dark side of personality. Today, we're going to discuss coaching the dark side of personality. The dark side of personality involves characteristics that inhibit our ability to be successful. These derailers tend to be strengths that can become overused or maladaptive when we're not self-monitoring. The concept of the dark side is based on the personality disorder section of the Diagnostic Manual of Mental Disorders, and it includes modern views that suggest while personality disorders are persistent and pervasive conditions, we all have disordered tendencies that operate on a spectrum and impact our lives. Christina, Brittany, I just wanted to welcome you to this bonus episode. Thanks, Jason. Glad being part of it. Hi, guys. Thanks again, Jason, for having us on. So I wanted to start by just asking you guys a little bit about your understanding of the dark side of personality. There's this quote that Bob Hogan loves. It's that, you know, people are the most dangerous and invasive species in the history of Earth, and people are going to be ultimately what kills us. He also says that, you know, people are the most dangerous things short of solar flares and also points out that like more people were killed uh, in the 20th century by their own leaders than all other causes. And I just want to get an idea from you guys about why, when it comes to sort of leadership and work, you think the dark side of personality is important. Yeah, so I can go ahead and give my best swing in it. So for me, it basically describes kind of the yin and yang in life, if you will. In my opinion, you can't only understand or learn solely about one thing about yourself. And in this case, I I would say we're talking about strengths um, without also challenging yourself to learn about your derailers and areas of development as well. You know, we talk about seeing and understanding the full person and without discussing the dark side, in my opinion, you're, you're only getting half of the person rather than the full person. Oh, right. Yeah. I think, thanks. That's a really, really good point. A really good intro. Um, I was wanting to go back to what Jason initially said that we have to keep in mind that these derailers are actually strength uh, when they're not overused. And for me, the Hogan, I think I mentioned that in an earlier episode, is all about the self-awareness. And we all have our potential derailers. Um, But to be aware of the strength that they can be and know when they actually become derailers and can lead to really destructive behavior at work, can be really destructive at teams and, yeah, lead into real crisis that... Once you know about it, you can do something about it and you're aware of it. So I think that's why especially leaders who have such an impact on teams and other people should be aware of their dark side. Yeah. And I think you both make great points about how they're really, they come from strengths and also how self-awareness is the key to sort of leveraging things. And I've noticed in my own experience, and certainly the research suggests that this is true, that, you know, the 
moments where my derailers are most likely to come out are when I'm under stress or I'm not paying attention. So like when I'm very stressed out or I'm sitting on the beach, that's when they're going to come out. And often it's very different derailers that come out in those different moments. Because when I, you know, am really stressed out, I tend to really start to isolate, uh, become a lot more introverted than I normally am. And sometimes that can leave people the impression that I don't want to communicate with them or I can't help them. And sometimes it can leave uh, them with the impression that I'm aloof or blunt. But on the other hand, when I'm literally sitting on the beach, which I hope, hopefully will be doing soon, I, you know, I tend to be even more creative to the point that I can get a little eccentric. But where it impacts me as a leader is sometimes I can lack focus or people can't follow my ideas or they find them really, really impractical. So I think to the point you're both making, I think really one of the tricky things about the dark side is that it's your strengths often being overused. So it's hard to say, or it's hard to see that it's happening. There was this great book um, in clinical mental health and had a title that was something along the lines of, you know, what to do when your brain is trying to kill you. And I always love that title because I sort of viewed my brain as my strongest asset. And one of the toughest things about mental health is that your strongest asset might be working against you. How does it show up for you guys? When does it show up for you all? For me, I would say, and I could be biased because while we're recording, it is first quarter. So it is an accounting interesting time. But for me, it comes in moments of lack of clarity. And I, I like that you guys phrased it being strengths the derailers being strengths overused, because I think even for me sitting at a leadership level with the age that I'm at, it creates kind of an imposter syndrome. And I think it's hard to even at a front base believe that you have that many strengths about yourself. And so for me, I think it comes in times where, you know, caution kind of comes out or in moments of lack of clarity. And Brett, for you, that that caution, that sense of imposter syndrome, does it cause you to lock up? Or? Oh, 100%. I would say that's when I see a lot of um, my derailers start to sing to me, if you will. Like my caution will start pumping the brakes really harshly. Um, my eccentricness might go down in a sense, or my imaginative might go down because of the caution going up in that case. So you actually find yourself becoming maybe less creative in those moments. And yes, it's definitely like a tug of war with the derailers, if you will. Well, when does the imaginative part show up then? When you're not stressed out? Yes, I would say when I'm not stressed out and I feel like I have a, a, a safe space or a safe outlet to tap into that. Um, I don't really necessarily tap into it when I feel cautious or stuck, if you will, that's when I can almost hide and retreat from that derailer. Um, when I really use my imaginative is when I feel confidence and clarity within myself of failing as an option here and it can be encouraged. And that's when mm -hmm. I feel most comfortable to use my imaginative as an outlet. So a huge part for you, Brittany, it sounds like is context that when you're in a certain kind of context or scenario, you need to look out for different derailers. How about you, Christina? How does it show up? 
So I think it's a good point, Britt, that you mentioned. And um, when I'm under stress, for me, it's um, when I look back at my, my Hogan results, I actually can handle ambiguity really well. And that things that usually stress out others don't scare me at all. For me, it's mostly that I'm somewhat ambitious, especially for getting a lot of different things done. For example, um, even from early on, I would say, yeah, of course I'm going to go to your birthday party on weekends. And I would end up with like four, four birthday invites on the weekend. And I would be absolutely inclined to go to each one of them. I wouldn't cancel anything. But so to say, yes, I'll, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And in the moment I say, I, I really believe... I'm going to get all that done. So these are things that would stress me out. And then my especially high mischievous, high colorful, imaginative. And yeah, that's also the way that I can be a bit manipulative. I would try to force people into doing things that they actually might not like. And then I end up with people agreeing to, to doing things that they don't really buy into and the result is never a good outcome. So I think that's how it really shows for me. So sort of when people, when you overcommit or uh, that has like a negative impact on you and maybe when people are, you know, they're going along with your idea and then all of a sudden at the end they realize, oh, I've been manipulated. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so there's this Carl Jung who's a um, prominent like uh, psychoanalytic um, psychotherapist. He promoted this concept and this idea of all of us having a shadow. And his underlying principle was that your shadow really is made of something. And he was really talking about the dark side. Your shadow was really made of something that existed when you were a child. But as you grew up, as you tried to be accepted by society or your parents or some other group, that part you know, no matter how well-intentioned those around you were, started to get suppressed and suppressed and suppressed. And one of the things that Young says is that if you don't, if you don't pay attention to your shadow and you don't let it out in little ways, it'll leak out no matter what, and it'll sort of eat you. And that's the concept sort of like of maladaptive or harmful derailers but for you guys do you ever find like if you turn your derailers down a little bit and use them sort of as strengths you you sort of feel more whole or more like yourself yeah i, I definitely um jumping in here yeah i definitely do because i'm especially since i'm aware that these are actually strength um, what really helps me is knowing that not everyone is like me because i think it's so easy to just look at yourself and think, okay, that's the way we all see the world. So for me, especially being super low on reserve, for example, I would, I think, often share, share way more information than I would do. But let's say I, I'm aware of it, I limit it a bit. And if I be my, let's say myself, I'd rather seek out environments where I can be who I am. And that really makes me feel more complete and aligned with myself. I'm going to steal what Christina said because I, I love it so much. Um, I completely agree with, you know, looking at yourself and thinking, oh, this is how everyone sees the world. And so with me, that's exactly how I felt with eccentricness and dutiful. I was every, you know, everyone is to this sense 
going to be loyal to X, Y, and Z or this person in authority. And everyone has this sort of creativeness to it. And, um, you know, I think I've talked in a previous episode where it wasn't viewed as a a strength being overused or overtapped into in, in appropriate times. It was always misconstrued and misperceived in my eyes by people of authority of no being eccentric is just weird it is it is almost weird and wrong and so for me and i want to take what christina said of the more i tapped into what i felt more comfortable as and for me that's my eccentricness and dutiful i i found that i create and i also allow an environment like that to just thrive and it's an amazing thing to see you know something that's been told it's supposed to be one way and you you study it in the right way and you you study the right people you know from Bob Hogan and all these other great people that we're learning from of it's really just a strength that you need to learn how to control and use at an appropriate time kind of harnessing it and those are great points too um, from both of you about the concept of blind spots that we all have blind spots and that the great thing I think about personality assessment especially one like the that's really scientifically validated, like the Hogan Developmental Survey, and also based on clinical research, is that we can really get a good idea of what those blind spots are and build self-awareness. So I, I want to do something slightly different than what we did in the last episode. And I want to sort of tackle your perceptions as people who coach and give debriefs and have your own derailers on some of the some of the different derailers and what i'll do is i'll i'll give a kind of like metaphor of how i see the different derailers and then let you guys speak to the different ones so you know the first first derailer uh is excitable and excitable is really it's based on uh, i don't know if you guys know this but it's based on the concept of borderline personality disorder it's like the tendencies that are related to it but it has to do with being really intense and energetic, but to, you know, becoming sort of unpredictable or moody. And I always like to think of it like that intensity of that energy, kind of like Bruce Banner, who's the Hulk, like really calm, sort of conscientious, caring. He's in the game, but like when his triggers are hit, he becomes like the, the Hulk, right? And, you know, you really have to, you know, he can't stop. <laughs> he can't stop himself. And I was wondering, how do you guys view excitable? And what what kind of tips do you give for um, people who have that derailer? I'm. I mean, I'm one of the, those who <laughs> has that derailer. Um, so for me, it means in a positive way that I have a lot of drive and energy. Even I get the feedback a lot of times, of like, "Hey, when you actually sleep." Because I really don't, I don't have to kind of make something up. It's just, I have a lot of energy. I also don't not, really do not need that much sleep. Mm, but it's also the moody part or like you, like you mentioned, the negative sides of it. For example, also that I'm low on reserve and not really so high on cautious. <laughs> I would under pressure and being stressed say things that let's say I more or less would regret later on uh, being aware of this excitable derailer is I mean I before let's say exploding or showing like really destructive behavior to others 
I take some time for myself, let's say walk around the block, um, get myself a treat, <laughs> McDonald's or something. And then I kind of think first before I act. And that really helps me a lot, I think. That makes sense. Um, Britt, so I'm going to give you skeptical next. So skeptical has to do with being, oh, and before I, before I jump to that, just one of the things that I was kind of thinking about, Christina, from a coaching perspective, mm-hmm. is like you want that passion and you want that energy and you want that enthusiasm in work. But to your point, you don't really want to lose emotional control. And, you know, one of the best ways, I think, to manage that is to identify, um, you know, the triggers. You know, we all have moods that move up and down. Nobody has a completely flat mood. But it's really the amplitude of the mood, how high or low it gets, and the wavelengths. Because if it's too close together, it throws people off. But if you can identify your triggers and kind of spread it out a lot, a little bit, it can be powerful. So, Britt, I'm going to give you skeptical, which is really about being perceptive and insightful, but kind of like under stress or not paying attention, becoming cynical, negative, fault-finding, maybe holding grudges. And I wanted to see what your thought on that is. Yeah, this is a good one. I think for me, it's kind of a challenge <laughs> because I think I do also have this one as well. For me, this one, um, the metaphor that I would kind of closely relate it to is kind of like the kid who is always curious and asking why. And questions are always a good thing, right? Because it's how we get to the bottom of things and to the root causes of some solutions or even helps us solutionize. But over time, if you ask why too much, I think it can lose its value by getting confused and maybe the real reason why we're asking why. And I love that you said it's also kind of being perceptful and perceptive and insightful about yourself, because in a sense, skeptical, the advice I like to give, you know, when I'm debriefing is, you know, knowing when to question others, but also knowing when to trust your gut. And I think that that's matched perfectly with what you said of knowing when to trust yourself blindly when you, you, you've been in enough experiences where, you know, maybe asking different questions or maybe just even asking the simple why might not be worth it at times. Yeah. So I, I, I work with a colleague who is very high and skeptical and he drives me crazy because I just want him to like trust what I say and believe it. And sometimes he comes off like in his natural way. And I don't think there's a negative intention there, but he comes off as so skeptical that it almost feels like insulting. But the funny thing is, if like I start to pick up there's something weird going on and I can't figure out what's up, he is so political sa- politically savvy and he has an ability to see problems like 500 miles away that I think it's really super powerful. And I think, you know, like Britt, you seem to be, at its base in your normal mood, a relatively trusting person, but sort of like when somebody sort of betrays you, it seems like it's hard to let go sometimes. And I, one of the values I think of being high and skeptical is you have great ability to sort of analyze and try to understand the motives and intentions of other people, but you have to always look out for not approaching the world as if everything is glass half full because it can really separate you from people. And so, you know, I always tell my clients that if you look at a person and you can't find one thing positive about them, then step back 
and really think it through because like there's always something like their socks are nice or they uh i don't know they have uh nice hair but but if you can't find anything that's when you want to pause and step back so i was going to throw out brit to you again and then christina you may want to chime in on this one as well the concept of cautious which really comes from a disorder known as avoidant personality disorder but it really has to do with being careful and thorough but then becoming really fearful of failure, risk averse, a little too indecisive and a little too careful. So Britt, I'll let you take this one first. Yes, I feel like now we are targeting the derailers. <laughs> no. um, but I, I love this one because I think it matches or coincides with skeptical a little bit of, you know, being indecisive and maybe not trusting yourself as much as you would want to. And that can be what spikes up that derailer or the fear to use the derailer in a sense. And so the metaphor that I always, if a client is ever having issues, you know, matching the term to a definition, um, I always try to use cautious as, you know, you have your gas in your car and you have your brakes. Caution is like your brakes. You don't want to overuse it. You don't want to tap into it too much because you're going to get the people around you motion sickness. You yourself can get motion sickness. And in a sense, being indecisive, think of it if you're walking on a wire and you need to walk forward or backwards and you're being indecisive, sometimes it can harm you more than it can help you just making a move and trusting your gut. And, you know, sometimes it might be the wrong move. And I think that that can also come with the fear of using the scale cautious is just the fear of failure. And I, I think what's so important for clients to understand is, and sometimes it doesn't come from work, but just immersing themselves in personal life or personal life events that do revolve around failure. So you can see failure can happen. And sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, and sometimes it works out better than you think. It, it's just an unfortunate part of life. And and I, I think just knowing when to use your brakes and when to use your gas it is just like learning how to drive a car. Oh, I love that metaphor too. And that's actually really a great segue because I think a lot of people who are cautious are really great at sort of like reviewing different plans and proposals and really thinking about and avoiding unnecessary risks. But to your point, sometimes they can hold up progress where there doesn't need to necessarily be a holdup. And so I always tell my clients, like, if you can't find a solution or a suggestion, you may want to pause at that moment and think that that derailer was going up. But I love the brakes pedal analogy because it leads to a great segue that none of these derailers operate independently. Most people have multiple ones. And then somebody like you, Christina, who has, you know, uh, a mischievous, uh, derailer as well, which is really about being very charming and interesting, but also risk-taking and limit testing. You know, my experience in working with people who sort of fit the mold of having both those derailers is that they tend to be very conscious in low-stakes situations or things they don't care about. But like when they do care about it, they will put their foot to the pedal. So sometimes driving with them or riding with them when they're leading you can feel like you're in a car where somebody's hitting the brake and the gas at the same time and then the brake and the gas. So what's it like to have both of those derailers? Yeah, I think first, first of all, uh, Brittany, I really love your quote um, with the pedal. It's really, really, really great one. Mm, having both derailers, I mean, I think Brittany, we share a couple of the our strengths and our derailers, but I think when it comes to 
making mistakes or the being afraid of failure. I'm not as afraid. And I remember that I think my whole wing came back with something like, quote, like the best solution, the, the second best solution might do. So I would say, and if I'm not really, this is like, there's my heart. I love that. <laughs> that's what I think, that's what I came back with. Mm. And for me, when it's not like, it doesn't need to be a 100% solution, I'm so impatient and I'd rather get going before waiting and doing like a little risk testing and having both derailers. It's really the fast forward. And if I'm really passionate about it, given that I'm also super high mischievous, I'm sitting there and I would convince others potentially doing the wrong thing without knowing the real risk to the project for everyone involved. And yeah, given if I would encounter someone who is more like a numbers person, very cautious, super reserved, and low and mischievous, I think I would not make that person um, hurt in a team. And now being aware of it. right over them. <laughs> yeah, yes, that's exactly what it hits when I hit the gas, what it does when I hit the gas pedal with both derailers. But the good thing is being aware of it. I can hold back, believe it or not, I can hold back and think first before I act, especially when it comes to bigger decisions. And I think that's one thing I'm really, really grateful about being that self-aware now since I was able to do the Hogan. So thanks for that. That was really helpful. Yeah. And I think a lot of people think that some of the derailers, like being bold or mischievous, that there's no, or colorful, there's no way to put the brakes on. But you know, to the point, it's really just about self-awareness. I'm going to throw two of my own in the mix. And Britt, you alluded to imaginative, which is really about being creative and really innovative, but potentially, as you said, becoming eccentric or kind of lacking focus or being a little too, little too creative and potentially uh, impractical. But I'm also, as I sort of alluded to or did allude to, I'm also high on another scale called reserve which has to do with being independent and objective. And I'll, I'll get you guys your thoughts on uh, how it plays out for me, but people who are reserved can become socially withdrawn, really tough and uncommunicative. And in the rare moments where both of those derailers hit for me, I start like painting and putting up cork boards and pictures on them with, uh, you know, tacks. And one of our colleagues for Christmas one year, Brought, uh, bought me yarn to make the connections on my corkboard. My ideas get really crazy. There was one time where we had five whiteboards in our conference room, and I was literally tying ideas from all of them. People came in and they're like, we cannot figure out what the heck you're talking about. And, and uh, my reaction was like, well, you don't need to figure out because I'm in my little reserved hole doing my little imaginative thing. And it has nothing to do with you, but it ended up translating into like, un, un, uh, outside of scaring people, uh, it translated into um, unproductiveness. I, I, do, do you guys see that in me at times? Alone in my own ideas? Uh, I'd say, yeah, when especially when you have the door closed all the time and I have a feeling you're not in, not having back-to-back -back meetings as we all know these times where you really have those but let's say when i don't hear anything going on and you still withdraw socially then i would assume okay you're like hiding out there in your creative mindset thinking whole 
and working on new ideas and you're not ready to share them yet. And being aware that you are, I mean, as I'm not reserved, I would always go in, walk through through the door. I totally respect that and I don't take it personal because I know that this is just the way you handle things. Yeah, and Christina, that's a great point. Knowing other people's derailers can be really helpful because what I found after we did our Hogan debrief, you would come to my door and then you would literally ask me, is your mood reserved right now? And I could let you know or not let you know. But even if I was in a sort of reserved mood, the fact that you were just acknowledging that made a possible, that was a possibility made me feel as if I'm not going to get overrun in this moment. So why don't you come in and talk? So literally, you knowing my derailers and respecting my derailers made it easier for me to engage in those moments in a productive way, in those moments where I think if somebody who didn't know my derailers or, or couldn't sort of signal that they had a recognition of it, it would be it would be super hard. And Britt, you used to be my executive assistant a long time ago. Did you see those things show up in me? Oh, 100%. I don't know it truthfully if I can phrase it as good as Christina did. So I will try to do the Sparknotes version. It was definitely interesting because when I was your executive assistant, I had no idea what Hogan was um, or, you know, the Hogan assessments, anything like that. I was still just learning it. So while I was learning the terms to match, you know, the body language and actually put a name to what you were feeling and doing, it it was so insightful because Christina phrased it perfectly of the second I knew your door would close, it it would almost be like reading body language. Oh, oh, okay. You know, he didn't slam it like that. He's excited. He's going to go work on a PowerPoint. And I know in 15 minutes, 30 minutes, however long it takes, I'm going to have to schedule a meeting where he can debrief people on 15 ideas that he just came up with. And and so it was, it was not only impressive to see, but it was also in a sense comforting to see because that's something I've gained throughout all of Hogan's assessments. You know, the HPI, the HDS um, and the MVTI of you're able to articulate what is happening. And for me, that's so important because I, I love having words to describe who I am and how I function best. And so uh, like what Christina said, just understanding your derailers and knowing when to adapt to them just as much as I think you as a boss have to learn and do learn how to adapt to us and our derailers it's key to success. Yeah. And um, I'm going to run through some of the other ones really quickly since we're running short on time. But, you know, there's leisurely, which is about being cooperative and agreeable, but sort of being stubborn, privately irritable and passive resistant. And often people who fit that mold will like have a very strong agenda, but often because they're sensitive and they want to get along, they'll hide their agenda. And one of the challenges there is they don't speak up and they kind of lose their organizational voice. I always tell them there's a reason why you're in that position and people usually want to hear your voice. And another one is bold, which is really about being confident and assertive, but coming off as entitled, arrogant, or overestimating your confidence. And often with those people, they don't necessarily have the intention to roll over people or hurt people. But you know, we encourage them to sort of share, share the credit. And then we've all alluded to colorful because I think, you know, we all have some elements of it and it's really about being outgoing and socially skilled, 
but potentially being attention-seeking or self-promoting or dramatic. And I have to say that when my imaginative hits my colorful, it can be quite the sight. But I wanted to, and it, yeah, it really can be. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, you know, diligent is another one, which is really about being detailed and conscientious. And, um, but potentially being micromanaging, perfectionistic and nitpicky and finally dutiful is about being supportive and loyal, but over eager to please, deferential and ingratiating. And I want to talk about those last two, um, diligent and dutiful. Because I know, Britt, you have a little bit of the perfectionistic quality that you see in Diligent. And then I know Christina and Britt, you both have some of those uh, really strong, dutiful qualities. And part of the reason why I want to talk about them together is they're like two of my lowest scores on the HDS. Like in terms of being dutiful, I operate like I'm on my own island, like, uh, you know, I don't think there's a boss I've ever had who would have ever described me as supportive and loyal, not necessarily because I wasn't loyal. I just didn't behave like it or show those signs. And no one who's ever worked with me would call me detailed. And one of the things that I kind of really find fascinating about those two scales that are very different to me is that the diligent scale, it, when you look at it at its core, that perfectionism, it's about moving close to people. It's like, if I'm perfect, you'll love me and you'll protect me. And the same thing with the dutiful scale. If I'm eager to please and deferential and I'm supportive, you'll love me and you'll protect me. And so I was wondering how, since those are so different than me, my natural inclination is not to seek protection from anyone other than myself. And I should probably work on that. <laughs> I wanted to see how those played out for you guys. Britt, do you want to take it first? Yes, because this is the worst tug of war I can imagine <laughs> and have gone through personally. For me, and I like that you phrase it two peas in a pod, because for me, that's how with learning Hogan, I, I immediately viewed these two um, derailers, if you will. So for me with Diligent, it's, it, you nailed it perfectly. Of I, It's like the cautious scale for me. It's a fear of failure. I, I want to be perfect. And for the dutiful, it's for me just I can blindly follow authority, um, but I do like to please authority. And so for me, it's not only the separate qualities of them of, you know, I want to be perfect and I want to be authoritative following, but it's the I want to be perfectly loyal to this person or these persons that I view have this sense of, you know, quality about them. And for me, it's like tossing cautious into the mix of, what I'm talking about with the tug of war. It's a very interesting battle going on. Uh, you well, Brett, I think another factor for you is you're also very on the bright side of personality, very ambitious. And I think one of the things between that wanting to be supportive and loyal and wanting to sort of be a bit of a perfectionist and definitely, yeah, the cautious plays a role, but those two things really about that perfectionism and that um, supportive loyal nature that it can create a real conflict between your ambition. And I think one of the best things we did, which is another thing about fitting people into the right roles based on their derailers is, you know, like you're in a chief of staff position right now. So you can be ambitious and also supportive at the same time of someone. Right. Exactly. And so context, I think definitely matters. How about you, Christina? 
Well, as, we, as I mentioned earlier, second best solution might do. Um, the, and I'm not really high on the diligence scale, but I'm high on beautiful. And thinking of my derailers for especially excitable and the mischievous part, I think that I'm limit and risk-seeking risk um, on a really high scale. It really is a good one that I'm high on dutiful, so I'm really eager to please, and I want to do a good job. Yeah, really, I find that dutiful can really clean up that mischievous very well. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that at least um, when I look at my CV, it cleaned it up really well until now. So I think that is really helpful for me also to know that. And being aware that um, I'm a fast actor and thinking comes sometimes next, I'm so aware of that, that in daily practice, in my daily job, I, I think about that first, if that makes sense. So I check on my next steps and, um, yeah, take a second look at my next step. That is, I think, a really good one. Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you both. I really appreciate uh, both of you coming on to talk about the importance of sort of the dark side and derailers. You know, it's funny. You would think if we were talking about the dark side of personality, it would all be quite negative, but it's been a super positive conversation ultimately because it, as both of you guys said, it's really about strengths. And so, I, you know, I wanted to check Christina and Brett to see if you had any closing remarks you wanted to throw out there before we uh, wrap up. I can just engage. So, for example, on a, on a private note, um, I was trying to convince my sister to take the Hogan exam, and she was exactly afraid to learn about her dark side. And um, I think that's exactly the point. Being aware, knowing that these are your strengths, and you just have to be a bit careful when you, you don't monitor yourself. It's such a key factor for not just for, for the workplace, it's for your entire life with engaging with people. You don't want to hurt someone just because you don't, you're not aware that that actually hurt the other, others or putting things at risk that is an unnecessary risk. So why don't you, why don't you, when everyone takes chances to make life and interact, daily interactions better on work and private life, just being aware. And as you said, um, knowing other people derailers is so helpful that I can only recommend that if I could live in a world where everyone has taken a Hogan assessment, I definitely prefer that. <laughs> you know, Christine, it's funny. Uh, based on what you said about your sister, I'm going to take a wild guess and say she's high on cautious. Brett, I wanted to uh, go ahead and see if you had any closing thoughts. Yes, I I loved the the ending of Christina's. You know, if there's a world where there's a Hogan, everyone should take it. Um, so I'm taking that as part of my intro. And funny enough, Christina, I presented my sister with the same opportunity of, you know, I have really? I can debrief you, and she said the opposite. Oh, I already know about enough flaws about myself. I I can figure it out. And so it was retraining her mind to understand that kind of, I think you phrased it perfectly. And what our entire conversation has been about is, you know, you can look at it negative and the world can perceive it as negative. But the, I think there's a quote that we now say all the time around the office since taking the Hogan assessments. And it's the, you, you know, is not worth knowing. It has been misconstrued by society. It's been twisted and turned by everyone but yourself. And this is an assessment that allows you to have control of the full narrative of yourself and understand 
your strengths that are being overused, your positive assets, and you know, your motivators, and it just encompasses so much. So I just want to say thank you for allowing us to have this conversation to continue to, you know, work our minds in this way and just have the opportunity to even be, you know, certified in this. It's an amazing experience and I learn something new every day because of it. Well, thank you both and thank the listeners for joining us in this bonus episode on Coaching the Dark Side. Um, We look forward to sort of being with you all again for our next episode, our next bonus episode, which will focus on the inside and values. 